Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God. His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO, Christ for you anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, November 27th, we are studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. In today's text, St. Paul warns the Corinthian congregation against the sin of sexual immorality in light of the fact that their bodies are members of Christ and temples of the Holy Spirit. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us returning guest, Pastor Tom Eckstein. Pastor Eckstein serves at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Good to be back. So we get started today, Pastor Eckstein. Talk to us about this epistle, 1 Corinthians, anything we need to know about the epistle as a whole, and the context leading up to our text for today. Well, in a nutshell, the epistle as a whole, obviously, there's a a ton of major problems going on at the congregation in Corinth, and Paul addresses them in this letter. But for our immediate focus here in this text, uh, one of the big problems at Corinth was uh, sexual immorality. In fact, uh, just a a little bit uh, earlier in 1 Corinthians 5, we we see that one of the problems was that there was uh, uh, an incestuous man. Uh, Paul says a man has his father's wife. And uh, Paul had to deal with that and actually encouraged uh, church discipline uh, for the sake of this man's salvation. And then uh, uh, he continues the, the discussion about uh, sexuality uh, and other sins in general later on in chapter 6. Uh, for example, verses 9 through 10, he makes it clear that, that people who engage in, in sexual immorality, um, and, and he includes in this adulterers and, and uh uh, same-sex behavior, but uh, he, he doesn't limit himself to sexual sin. He also mentions idolatry and theft and greed and drunkenness, and he could have added a, a whole mo- uh, other ton on the list. And he makes the point that people who engage in these sins without repentance will not inherit the kingdom of God. And, and that's important to remember because uh, he's not saying, boy, if you've ever committed any of these sins, you're done, you're out, there's no hope for you. No, no he's saying you can come to God with any sin in repentance and, and you can be washed, you can be sanctified, you can be justified in the name of Jesus, as he says in 1 Corinthians 6.11. Uh, so there's always forgiveness and a new beginning for those who have, uh, are in bondage to sin. His point in, in, in verses 9 through 10, though, of 1 Corinthians 6, is that if, if you are engaging in these sins and you see it as no problem, you don't see them as wrong, you, you celebrate them, you see no need for forgiveness, you can't enter the kingdom of God. And so when Paul says, and such were some of you, he's not saying that, oh, now you're you're sinless saints and you never struggle with any temptations anymore. That's not what he's saying. What he means is you used to be unrepentant unbelievers, but now you're repentant believers. Now you agree with God that the sin in your life is evil and you grieve over it and you trust in Christ for full salvation. And by his grace, you strive to live according to his loving will for your life. And that takes us to today's text, because Paul's going to talk about what, what is God's loving will for our life when it comes to sexuality. And of course, uh, just uh, uh, a bigger picture comment, you know, God is the one who created sex. Uh, you know, in the beginning, be fruitful and multiply. So 
sexuality is a good gift of God, but it's meant to be used within the context of marriage, not only that a husband and a wife might become one flesh and thereby celebrate their promise of love to each other, but also this is the tool God has, has created to create more human beings. But, but in our text for today, we're going to see that when we separate God's gift of sex from the, the covenant of marriage, it becomes a distorted evil thing that reduces another person to an object of your lust. And so we're going to be uh, working through that whole thing in today's reading. Yeah, that's right. Paul will quote in our section today from Genesis chapter 2, taking us back to that foundation of what the good gift of marriage is, so that we would see just how terrible the sin of sexual immorality is, as, as he will bring out today. He had been talking in chapter 6, the, the first eight to nine verses, about the matter of lawsuits between believers, and that thought of, of judgment that, that the Christians should have within their own minds was connected to the judgment that they should have in terms of the man who is committing sexual immorality in chapter 5. Do we see that, that theme of judgment still come up? Is it in the background of our text today? How, I mean, I'm just trying to connect the dots from, from one to the, the next as, as he's moving along here in his progression of thought. Well, yeah, I think, you know, and when he talks about judgment in this case, and you'll get this later on, too, on the Lord's Supper, he, he will talk about, you know, if you judge yourselves, you would not have to be judged. And, and his point is, is that uh, the, the Word of God, the, the teaching of Christ, should ideally uh, enable us to discern uh, what is good and what is evil, uh, that we, we might repent of the evil and receive forgiveness, and also, by God's grace, pursue the good. But, of course, um, there's two problems with that. Number one, uh, some of us, uh, you know, uh, uh, we, we, we don't focus on God's Word as we should, and we might even uh, have the, the poisonous teachings of the world infiltrate our mind. And before you know it, we're calling good evil and evil good. I, I think of what Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians 5 when he's referring to the incestuous man. He's saying, and some of you are proud. You know, you know how did you get to that place? And, and, and that can happen even to the Christian when, when our mind is being filled more by the, 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 the teachings of the world than it is by the Word of God. But, but even when we do have the Word of God in our lives, um, there's still that sinful nature that, that wants to say no to God's will. And so all the more need for daily repentance and faith in Christ that we might crucify the desires of the sinful nature and, and live in the freedom that, that Christ has given us by his atoning sacrifice. And for example, at, at the end of, of uh, you know, this reading today, you know, uh, after giving us a lot of law, you know, he, he uh, talks about how we have been bought at a price. And uh, that's actually very good news. What he's yeah. saying is, you know, the, the blood that Jesus shed for you has, has rescued you from the slavery of Satan, and you're now dearly loved people of God. But that implies that now our freedom means that I don't get to live any way I please, which is part of the problem with the false teachers here. But freedom in Christ means now I actually get to live the way God intended me to live in the first place. So what Paul is trying to do here is, okay, he's going to give you the truth of God's Word so that we can have the judgment, the discernment, to see how uh, sexuality should be used in a way that honors God. Mm. All right, with that introduction in mind, let's take a look at the text. This is 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning at verse 12. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. 
Food is meant for the stomach and the stomach for food. And God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord, and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. That's our text for today, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Pastor Eckstein, we've seen in this letter how Paul is responding at various points to things the Corinthians have written to him and reports that he's received from the Corinthians. In this section, in the ESV, and I think in other English translations, the, the statement, all things are lawful for me, is put in quotation marks. Right. Is that to indicate that this is these are the words that the Corinthians have been saying to Paul, or or what is I mean, what's going on here with this statement? All things are lawful for me. Yeah, and here's where it gets a little tricky, to be honest, because if you go back to the original Greek, it doesn't have these convenient quotation marks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we really have to do the hard work of trying to figure out, okay, what what is a slogan that Paul may be quoting? versus his uh, refutation of that slogan. Now, uh, having said that, I I think you can make a very, very good argument. Uh, I'm going to take this one at a time very briefly here. For for verse 12, I think you can make a very, very good argument that the ESV and other translations uh, are are suggesting that all things are lawful for me, as well as all things are lawful, you know, uh, 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 the, the second statement, all things are lawful for me, that Paul is here quoting a slogan. Now, the, the challenge here, though, is that uh, we don't have all the information we'd like to have about right. the individuals who are championing this slogan. What exactly are their beliefs? Uh, what exactly do they mean by this? But what, what most scholars conclude is that, uh, and, and, and there's probably a multitude of different false teachings circulating uh, among the Christians of mm-hmm. Corinth, but apparently the, those who are saying, all things are lawful for me, all things are lawful for me, is is that that you either have a, a, a pagan thinking that um, you know, uh, and some think it's maybe a pre gnostic idea that separates the body from the spirit, as though created things are evil or even insignificant versus the immaterial spirit world, and so some things are saying since since our 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 real true identity is is non physical, then what we do in the body is of no consequence. In other words, all things are lawful for me. And then another suggestion I've read in some scholars is that it it may have been even Christians saying this, but because of their twisted understanding of what it meant to have freedom in Christ. Meaning, um, you know, because we think of different places in Paul's letters, he'll talk about how in freedom, uh, we have freedom in Christ, but they they may have been interpreting this as meaning, oh, well, now that I'm saved by grace, I can do anything I darn well please. Well, whatever the source of this statement that I can do anything I want, Paul is very clear, well, you might say that, but the fact is, all things are not helpful. Uh, there are some things that you do in the body that can be that are sinful 
and immensely destructive. And then he goes on in verse 13, and here's where it gets a little tricky. Where, where does the slogan end and where does Paul's rebuke begin? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, it's interesting. I was reading um, uh, the First uh, Corinthians Concordia Commentary by Gregory Lockwood, and he suggests that, uh, he, he says, this is the entire slogan. I'll, I'll read it the way he uh, translates it. Food is meant for the stomach and stomach for the food, and God will destroy both one and the other. Mm-hmm. He takes that whole thing as their slogan, meaning they're saying, hey, you know, uh, you put food in the stomach and, uh, and uh, you know, the stomach is for food. And the fact is, in the end, all this material stuff is going to be burned away because, you know, the, the created world isn't important. So if it's all going to burn, it doesn't really matter anyway. You know, what we do in the body here doesn't matter because it's all going to burn anyway. But then Paul's response is, oh, whoa, whoa, time out here. <laughs> uh, that's not true. The, the, uh, the body is not going to cease to exist. There's this thing called the resurrection Okay? In other words, creation is good, uh, not only on the final day when God restores all things, but even in this fallen world, the body is good. Uh, it, it maybe is affected by sin and cursed by sin, but the body itself is good, and the body was not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. So, so Paul's response uh, to this is that, hey, no, it's not all going to burn. The, the physical world, especially your body, here and, and in eternity, is important, and what we do with it uh, uh, is important. God has a, a purpose for the body. Yeah. So th- that's, that's how uh, I think we, it's best to understand those slogans there. Okay, so let's, let's, kinda, let's talk a little bit more about the slogan, all things are lawful for me. As you said, there, there may be times where in Christian freedom, there are elements in which that may be true. And I think that's going to be something that's in the background when he comes to chapters 8 through 10, and he talks about that matter of meat sacrifice to idols, that on the one hand, there is a knowledge that says, hey, I know that an idol is nothing, and this is just meat. And so there is that sort of, you know, that Christian freedom that does stand in the background. There's some truth to that, but that's not going to be the overarching principle by which Christians are to live. And so I, I love the way that he does this in verse 12. All things are lawful for me. Okay, but they're not all helpful. And I've, I've found that second statement, the way that Paul refute, refutes it at first, to be a very helpful way to consider the Christian life still in a number of circumstances. You know, we will often, and I'm sure you've had this, Pastor Eckstein, where in catechism class, you'll be going through the Ten Commandments, and the students, both young and old, will want to talk about, well, what about this? Is this a sin or is that a sin? And they can come up with all kinds of of unique situations that they want to know about. And it's not that we shouldn't care about what is or isn't sin. We should. But this question of, well, is it helpful? I've often found a very helpful diagnostic to maybe help us to think in in broader terms about the Christian life so that I don't try to just justify myself like, hey, I didn't break the law in this one tiny spot but I'm actually thinking right. about what love for God and love for neighbor really looks like. Right, right. And, you know, a good example of this would be, you know, Pastor Eckstein, is it a sin to smoke cigarettes? Well, <laughs> you know, you know the, the Bible doesn't really directly address that issue. Uh, you know, there, there's not a specific, thou shalt not, you know, do this. Uh, but, you know, I think that would be a good example of where Paul would ask us to use our God-given wisdom, you know, uh, maybe you can make an argument for why we're free to to use tobacco, but you know, uh, like like 
just like food, anything can be abused, yeah. you know. And if you're smoking two packs of cigarettes a day, uh, is that helpful? Uh, we, God has given us knowledge now to know how excessive use of tobacco or, ex- or excessive use of food, for that matter, uh, you know, is damaging to the body. We should just use, first of all, the basic wisdom that God has given us. And so I, I would think a good example when it comes to sexual immorality. I mean, in that case, we have a direct word from God. Right. You know, don't have sex before marriage. Don't commit adultery. But but even if you set those things aside, you know, even people in our culture who, who may, might not even be aware of the clear teaching of God on that issue, uh, they can look at the, the damaging things that sexual immorality does. I mean, uh, uh, not uh, only does it affect people's ability to, to make a commitment, uh, but also there's the whole issue of sexually transmitted diseases. Yeah. So, you know, Paul is just saying here, whoa, whoa stop, stop, time out. You know, uh, this whole idea that, that, that I'm free to do anything, you know, not only does God's Word clearly teach that not all things are lawful, you know, even though we have freedom in Christ, that doesn't mean I can go out and commit adultery or murder. Yeah. So we have, we have to, you know, clarify what that means, freedom in Christ. But also, even these other things where the Bible doesn't directly say that they're wrong, you have to ask yourself, am I using them in such a way that it is, uh, you know, hurting myself or hurting other people? Or, or, or has this thing, am I using this thing that God doesn't comment on one way or the other, but am I using it to s- such an extent that it's become a false god for me? Yeah. You know, we, we just have to sit back and, and realize that, that you know, um, just because we have freedom in Christ doesn't mean that suddenly all behavior is, is, is okay. You know, not all things are helpful, as Paul said. Yeah, and I'm glad you used the language of, is this becoming a false god for me? Because I think that ties into the second way that Paul rebukes or rebuts this statement. He says, all things are lawful for me, but I will not be enslaved by anything. He brings up this matter of, of slavery. So talk a little bit about the the way that, you know, again, things that are not lawful, sin definitely enslaves us. But just talk about the the way that we would be enslaved by these things when we, when we put them in the wrong places. Oh, yeah. I mean, and that can be true. <laughs> Yeah, that's why I love how Luther talks about how you know there's more first commandment uh, of breaking the first commandment than just bowing down to a golden calf. Yep. You know anything that we love and trust in more than God uh, that becomes our God. And um, when you think about it, I, I, I'm guilty of idolatry all over the place. Uh, I might not be bowing down to a golden calf, but but have I put my trust and and worth? Uh, in in some things more than God. Yeah, I'm guilty of that. I I need forgiveness for that. I mean, especially in the area, I'll I'll just give a personal testimony here. You know, in in the area of food, I've struggled with overeating my whole life, you know, and a lot of Americans do. And 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 yet I see how how, um, you know, abusing that gift of God, obviously, he created us to eat food. But but when we uh, uh, take something to excess, it, it can be damaging not only for your own body, but it also keeps you from being a servant to others. Because a big part of, of, of living the Christian life is realizing that we've been set free to love and serve our neighbor. Yeah. And, but if, if I'm uh, you know, uh, you know, inhibiting my ability to do that because of my focus on, on other things, uh, you know, it, 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 that's slavery, not freedom. And, and so you know, we all have hobbies, for example. But when, when, when our hobbies take over our lives to the point where we have, don't have time to go to church, don't have time for prayer, don't have time to love and serve our neighbor, uh, now those hobbies have maybe become a selfish, false god for us. And, um, you know, I, I hesitate to come up with a, a, a list. I think everyone just That's has right. to examine their own lives. Yeah. You know, are there things I'm focusing on to a degree and to an excess that it's actually harming me 
and keeping me from focusing on God and my neighbor as I should. Yeah, and I, I think that that's, again, another helpful, very diagnostic that you've brought out. Is this activity, whatever it may be, is it hindering my service to the neighbor? Because the, the particular activity that you might be thinking about, and as you said, we should examine our own lives, that particular activity, there may not be a clear statement from God's Word as to whether or not it's, it's, it's helpful or not, but there is a very clear word from the commandments about love and service for the neighbor. And so if that yeah. activity that in and of itself might not be sinful begins to prohibit me and inhibit me from serving my neighbor, then there is an issue with the commandments of what is lawful and what is not that, that God very much has something to say about. Yeah. And I'll just throw out one other example because I honestly think it's becoming a problem in our culture. You know, like many people, uh, my wife and I subscribe to Netflix because there's some nice stuff on there that like to watch. There's also a lot of junk we shouldn't watch. Yeah. But but there's this thing I've heard of um, is becoming more and more of an epidemic, uh, binge watching. Yeah. You know, where, where people say, oh, wow, I, I watched seven seasons of this program last week. <laughs> wow. You know, I just watched hour after hour after hour after hour after hour of this series. I'm thinking, does God really want us to use our time that way? You know, does God really want me to spend 40 hours this week watching a TV series when I could be using that to study his word, to pray, or to serve my neighbor? And, and again, I hate to make a, a thou shalt not rule about that, but at the same time, there's a place for, for I, I think, as Christians, to use the discernment that God has given us about loving our neighbor to ask, is is this excessive use of whatever my hobby is, whether, whether it's binge-watching a Netflix series or anything, is this keeping me from focusing on the good things that God would really have me focus on? So I think we all have to just take some time to, to be honest with ourselves in those areas of our life. Yeah, I, for sure. And again, to use the, the tools that Paul gives us here, is this something that is helpful? Is this something that is enslaving me? Am I, to go to verse 13, am I living as if the things of this life have absolutely no bearing on my life in Christ? Because I think that's the, you know, the error that's there in verse 13, because on the one hand, you know, you have, you have Jesus in the gospels speak about, you know, it's not what goes into your body that makes you unclean. It's not, it's not your, it's not, it's not about the hand washing or the foods. That's not what makes you unclean because that just is expelled later on. And so on, on the one hand, the matter of food well, and Paul will say elsewhere that the kingdom of God's not food and drink, you know? Um, but at the same time, if I act as if my physical life has no bearing on my life in Christ, then I've fallen off on the other side of the horse, Absolutely. if you will. Go ahead. Absolutely. Talk more about that. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting too, in, in, in John 8, Jesus just says very bluntly, whoever sins is a slave to sin. Yeah. So these, these various, uh, uh, you know, evil desires of our heart, that may lead us uh, into behaviors that hinder uh, the, the, the Christian life, uh, e- either by directly uh, going against some of the clear commandments of God, or by by taking certain things that even themselves are not wrong, but taking them to an excess that we, we, we no longer have time to focus our God or serve our neighbor. You know, uh, the world might consider this freedom. You know, we, we get that a lot in our culture. Boy, if you're living the dream... You know, if, if you're living your passion, you know, that's what life's all about. But, but, but uh, if we're doing things that are in direct conflict with God's Word, or if we're using uh, things of themselves that are good but to an excess that it keeps us from loving our neighbor, then, then, then we're actually living out the, the, the selfishness of our sinful nature. You know, you know Luther talked about how the, the sinful nature is curved in on itself. 
And so if, if we're living in such a way that it's all about me, all about satisfying my desires, you know, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, you know, that is not uh, the freedom Christ has given us. That's actually slavery. Yeah, that's right. So, and, and that's where that, as you said, the way that uh, Dr. Lockwood suggests, and again, just to, to make sure I understood, Dr. Lockwood suggests that the entirety of verse 13 is that, well, I shouldn't say, no, not the entirety. The first uh, half. The he first half is yeah. a part of their quotation. So the fact that, so he's saying that God will destroy both one and the other would also be a part of the Corinthian slogan rather than Paul's rebuttal. That's his suggestion? Exactly. Okay. Yes. And, and that's his argument, and again, others dis- may disagree, but his idea is that w- if the slogan is God will destroy both one and the other, it would be like them saying, hey, it's all going to burn anyway, so what does it matter? You know, yeah. eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. <laughs> yeah, sure. And again, I suppose there is there is an element in which you know we are not to cling to the things of this world because we know that, that the things of this world do decay and die. But at the same time, if we go too far in that direction, we end up denying the reality of the body as God's gift to me in creation. We end up denying the reality of what Christ has done in his incarnation and what he's done in his resurrection, that, that which awaits us as well in him. And so to, to simply, again, act as if the life that I live in this body has no bearing on my life in Christ, that, right. that is a denial that Paul's going to pick up. That's really the—and it seems like he's, he's really setting that as the foundation, yeah. and then he's going to apply it specifically to this matter of sexual immorality. But as, as our conversation has already revealed, there's a number of instances in which this reality, that our life in the body and our life in Christ are very intimately connected, this has broad applications for our life. Paul's going to take it and apply it very specifically to to sexual immorality. So uh, before we, we're about to take our break here, uh, Pastor Eckstein, but any any more comments on that broad reality before on the other side, we take it specifically to the way Paul applies it to sexual immorality? Well, just real quickly, I think of a common slogan today, you only live once. Mm. So the idea is, boy, do what you want to do now uh, so you don't have regrets. But the truth is, no, we don't only live once. We're all going to live forever. The question is where and with whom. <laughs> so as believers, the fact that we're going to be living forever as resurrected beings, um, uh, our, our eternal destiny has everything to say about how we live in our bodies now. And Paul's going to go on to make that argument. Yeah, that's right. So he's going to apply that broad argument specifically to the matter of sexual immorality, and we will pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron on KFUO. We're talking to Pastor Tom Eckstein this morning. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Who does Lutheran Church Extension Fund serve, you ask? It's simple. We serve Lutheran Church Missouri Synod ministries and church workers with loans and ministry services. And it's faithful Lutherans like you church members and church workers alike, investing with LCEF that makes it possible for LCEF to serve these ministries. Learn more at lcef.org. 
LCF is a nonprofit religious organization. Therefore, LCF investments are not FDIC insured bank deposit accounts. This is not an offer to sell investments or solicitation to buy. LCF will offer and sell its securities only in states where authorized. The offer is made solely by LCF's offering circular. Investors should carefully read the offering circular, which more fully describes associated risks. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, November 27th. We're studying 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20 with Pastor Tom Eckstein. He serves at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. Pastor Eckstein, prior to the break, we talked about how Paul sets up the reality of that our life in the body is very much connected to our life in Christ. He's rebutted these Corinthian slogans, and now he's going to apply that specifically to the matter of sexual immorality. In the middle of verse 13, he says, the body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. Help us to see how Paul begins his argument here as he applies it now to sexual immorality. Yeah. Well, a couple things. Uh, he's going to go on in verse 14 to say, you know, God raised the Lord, he'll raise us by his power also. This is a reminder that, that the physical world is not some meaningless or worse yet evil thing. It's a good thing. Yeah. Uh, and, and the very fact that God is going to raise our bodies and give us a new physical recreation means that the physical creation is good, but that means it, it needs to be lived out according to God's intentions for its purposes. And so he says, therefore, since our bodies are the creation of God, our bodies are good, uh, obviously they were not meant for sexual immorality, meaning we are not to take God's gift of sex and twist it and distort it uh, beyond uh, his good plan for it. And at at the very end of this reading, he's going to make the point, uh, as Christians, we're called to actually honor God with our bodies. So far from being uh, a meaningless uh, thing that we can do what we want with because it doesn't really matter, the body is immensely important to God, and to the point where we can actually glorify God with our body. And when it comes to sexual behavior, how do you honor God with your body? Well, if you're single, you honor God with your body by remaining celibate. Uh, If you're married, you honor God with your body by using his gift as he intended to to celebrate your promise of love uh, with your spouse, and also, according to God's will, to to create new human beings, uh, be fruitful and multiply. So we honor God with our bodies, specifically in the area of sexuality, by using it in the way God intended, the very good way. But in the same way, uh, uh, the 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 last thing that Paul says we should do is use our bodies, in, 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 as far as sexuality is concerned, in a way that distorts and twists God's gift of sex. Um, and so he says, you know, the body was not created to use it in this way. And, and, and he's in a, you know, not only did he mention adultery and same-sex behavior and fornication earlier, but he's actually going to go on now in a reading to, to talk about the issue of prostitution and why that is a, a complete distortion of God's gift of sex. Yeah, and as the theological foundation for this, he brings up especially the resurrection of Christ, as well as then our own resurrection, uh, both of those things are going to become very prominent, especially later in this epistle in chapter 15, where he will talk at yeah. length about the resurrection of Christ and our resurrection, and then the way that that does influence our lives now. And we've we've seen Paul already in this epistle talk about the they're waiting for the revealing of the day of the Lord. I mean, they've got this end times focus even in, in the first chapters of this epistle. Mm-hmm. That makes a difference here, too. 
Christ has been raised, you will be raised. That makes a difference in your sexuality, which is maybe not the way we would think, but Paul, he connects the dots perfectly. Yes, absolutely. In fact, uh, he, he goes on to make the point that not only is sexual immorality a misuse of our body and the way God designed us to use our sexuality, but he goes on to make this very mysterious comment um, that I think is actually connected to the Lord's Supper when he says, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Yeah. You know, it, here we see that, that, that uh, not only are our physical bodies very good, but he's going to go on in Corinthians to say that, that we actually eat and drink the physical body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion. We, 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 we are made one with Christ in that sacred meal. And, and so uh, taking Holy Communion has everything to do with how we treat our neighbor. And uh, so his whole point here is that because we are one with Christ, uh, especially in light of the Lord's Supper, how then can I go... And uh, you know, after receiving the holy body and blood of the Lord, how can I then go and engage in sexual immorality with a prostitute? He says, you can't do that. And, and so it's very interesting here that, that Paul, I think he's actually setting them up to make the point that, hey, uh, uh, you know, not only is how we use our body important to the Lord, but the fact that we receive the body and blood of Christ in Holy Communion has everything to do with how we use our body in this world. Yeah, and, and the physical nature of it, again, is something that I think we are prone to forget, that we think our spiritual life is a non-physical thing, and it's it's simply not. And I, I think you're right to connect this to the body of, of Christ that we receive in the sacrament. I think we should also connect it to the body of Christ, as Paul will describe the church in chapter 12 yes. of this epistle— that these, yes, they are spiritual realities, but there is also this is also a physical reality. And that like, this is the way that I've tried to, to say it. The fact that we are the body of Christ means that your body needs to be there with the body of Christ. You're, yes, you're, exactly. You know, like, and I think we, we learned that especially during the pandemic, that, that when we were separated from each other in our bodies, we, we longed to be together physically. But I, it's been a reality that's been in the scriptures all along that hopefully we're starting to appreciate more and more. Well, absolutely. And, and we especially need to stress that in, in our modern American culture where there's so much focus on individualism, you know, and people talk about, well, I'm spiritual, not religious, and I can just have my me and, and Jesus uh, thing apart from, you know, actually joining the body of Christ uh, uh, surrounded uh, around baptism and the Lord's Supper. You know, uh, we, 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 when, we, when we become Christians, we're, we don't become spiritual hermits. We're, we're, we're born again into a family, and, and Paul's really stressing that here. Yeah, so, okay, the reality then is that our bodies are members of Christ. So then to apply that specifically then to the sin of sexual immorality, there is something that happens in sexual immorality that just oh, is a terrible offense against that holiness that we would have connected to Christ. What does he say now about sexual morality and the reason that this sin in particular is so offensive? Yeah, well, he goes on, first of all, of course, and at the end of verse 15, he says, you know, I, I should not take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute. But then he goes on to, to clarify what he means by that even more in verse 16. He says, do you not know that he was joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? And then he quotes from Genesis, as is written, the two will become one flesh. So what is he getting at here? What he's saying is that the actual uh, act of sexual intercourse was created by God 
for specifically for a husband and wife to to celebrate their holy union, their promise of love to each other. In other words, uh, uh, the God's gift of sex was meant to be a, a sign, a symbol of my uh, commitment uh, to my spouse, uh, you know, for better, for worse, for richer, or poor, in sickness and in health. But then he says, but if you take that one flesh union that God has created and uh, use it with a prostitute, you know, is she the one you promised your life to? Did you promise to love her? Uh, or like Paul says in Ephesians 5, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. No, when you go to a prostitute, you're throwing her a few bucks to use her body and treat her like an object, and then you might not even know her name. <laughs> so what he's saying here is that to, to take uh, God's holy gift of sexual intercourse that is meant for a husband and wife, and then to use it with a prostitute is a total a distortion of, of what God intended uh, sexuality to be. And by the way, this is why, too, you know, uh, 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 not only is a, adultery, a, a, a husband or wife cheating on his or her spouse wrong, but even uh, what we call fornication, two single people, you know, just hooking up to have sex. You know, that, that's very, very prominent in our culture today. And I've actually heard some Christians who apparently haven't been catechized very well, I've actually heard Christians say, well, hey, I'm not committing adultery because neither of us are married. <laughs> and I, I've had to point out, no, the Sixth Commandment has more to say than just husbands or wives not cheating on each other. It has something to say to single people, too, that if, if you're just using each other as objects of sexual pleasure— and you're disconnecting that from God's gift of marriage, then that's a horrible distortion of what God intended sexuality to be. Uh, whenever we have sex apart from marriage, we're, we're treating that person as an object of our lust rather than our spouse to whom we have made a promise of love for, for life. And, 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 and by the way, marriage is so holy uh, 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 to God that he even talks about his relationship with us in terms of marriage. You know, Christ is the bridegroom. We are the bride. And, and, and so this whole idea of, of, of using a prostitute uh, and, and throwing God's gift of marriage to the wayside, uh, Paul says, no, you simply can't do that. That's not what Genesis teaches about marriage. Yeah, I think it's, it's important for us in our context to mention, as you brought out earlier, the very hurtful things that happen when we abuse God's gift of marriage and sexuality in these ways. When we were talking about not all things are helpful, you you brought this out, that even in, in secular contexts, people will recognize the great hurt that happens from adultery and from fornication and from yeah. prostitution and, and pornography and the long, long list of just awful, shameful sins against the Sixth Commandment. The right. very harmful effects are there, and I think it's important for us to emphasize that as we proclaim the reality of what God teaches and the goodness of marriage, that we aren't doing this because we're prudes. We're not doing this right. because we want we don't want people to have fun. We're we're proclaiming these things because God has a very good design for marriage and sexuality, so good that He gave it before the fall into sin, and and God wants us to enjoy that gift in its goodness and to be spared from the great harm that comes when we abuse it. And I think the more that we try to proclaim that, that we are, we are saying these things so that people would not be hurt in these ways. Uh, that's, that's just a good thing for us to keep in mind as the, and that's not going to stop the world from labeling us haters and refusing it. But I, 
I, right. I just find that to be an important thing for us to keep in mind and, and to bring out as the one of the reasons that we are proclaiming this is because we, we want what is best uh, for our neighbor, and that's why we speak these things, just for the same reason that God has spoken to them and spoken them to us in the first place. In fact, I love what you said, that, that God is in the prude. Uh, he, yeah. he doesn't say, say sex for marriage because I don't want you to have any fun. No, no, his whole point is, is that sex was created so that you could uh, single out one special person, your husband or your wife, to, to have this unique relationship that you have with nobody else. And, and when you divorce sexuality from marriage, uh, you're actually treating the person you're having sex with as just an object of your lust. There's no promise of love there. There's no marriage covenant. You're, you're just treating them as an object. It, it, it becomes pure selfishness at that point. And, and so he's saying is, I, I don't want you to hurt each other by doing this. And, and then, then he goes on, you know, um, and here's where things get interesting in verse 18. Flee from sexual immorality. And then he, in, our, in the ESV it says, every other sin a person commits is outside the body. Now, this is one of those examples where scholars debate, uh, is this actually what Paul is saying, or is this a slogan? Why do I say that? Because hmm. the word other, that is in most English translations, every other, the word other is not in the Greek. Uh, if you translate the Greek literally, uh, the first part of, of the second part of verse 18 reads, every sin a man commits is outside the body. Hmm. Well, that at first doesn't sound to make a whole lot of sense. <laughs> so some suggest that that Paul is actually quoting a slogan of the false teachers, and their slogan would be, every sin a person commits is outside the body. Mm-hmm. Meaning, the, the only sins, the, if there are such a thing as sin, it, it comes in, in the non-physical realm. What you do with the body is, is of no consequence. Now, if that is what Paul is doing, quoting their slogan that, hey, uh, sin has nothing to do with the body, well, his response to that is, oh, right, oh, really? Uh, the sexually immoral person does sin against his own body. Mm-hmm. He, he turns it on his head. He says, you, you think that, that the, the, what you do in the body doesn't matter? I'm telling you that when you have sex outside of God's plan, you are sinning against your body. Now, if we take it the way many others have taken it, that, that Paul is actually saying every other sin a person commits is outside the body, then, then we have to interpret as though he's saying that e- even though all sin damns, uh, whatever it is, uh, there's something unique about sexual sin. Uh, and, and here's where it gets a little tricky interpreting it that way, because, uh, you know, c- can't you also hurt your body by other non-sexual sins like murder and, and, right. and, and substance abuse and, and stealing from somebody? Yeah. But, but, uh, but, but some would say that, okay, yeah, all, all those hurt the body too, but, but sexual immorality hurts the body in a very unique and particular way in that you're using this holy gift that was meant for marriage alone and 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 you're using that gift in, in a very uh horrible way that that actually uh wounds you emotionally and and physically hmm. um it, it it god did not wire us for for sexual immorality and we see the 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 the, the, the grave effects of that in our culture uh, where, you know, people who have multiple sexual partners, they, they, they cannot bond with somebody in a marriage after a while. They, they don't know how to emotionally bond. And then, of course, there's the whole issue of, of um, uh, sexually transmitted diseases. So however you take this, wh- whether Paul's quoting a slogan or whether he's actually saying that sexual immorality is, is a very uniquely destructive kind of sin, in either case, his whole point is, 
flee from sexual immorality because it's very destructive for you. Uh, Again, God is not keeping you from this because he's a prude or a killjoy. He's keeping you from this because he doesn't want you to be hurt by it. Yeah, I kind of like the thought of Paul quoting a slogan here, because I think that that would match up more with the way we were discussing the previous or the first parts of the text, that there our physical life does influence our life in Christ and vice versa. So that yes. just there's this, uh, that it makes, it makes more sense to say Paul is quoting a slogan there rather than saying, well, every other sin, this is the only one that's physical. I, I don't, that's right. always, I've never quite been able to, to track with that. So the thought of a, a slogan, I think, I think fits the context a little bit better. As you said, we yeah. if only we had the quotation marks, and if if only we had the other half of the correspondence. You know, if if you have yeah. a copy of that letter that they wrote, uh, Pastor Eckstein, you just got to let me know, okay? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so that we can figure some of these things out honest, for certain. I, I, even though I, in humility I want to consider others' opinions on this, I, I actually lean in the direction of saying this is a slogan. And my main reason for that is, first of all, again, the word other is not in the original Greek. Right. The Greek actually reads, every sin a man commits is outside the body, which, you know, well, it wouldn't make sense for Paul to say that. So uh, it, it, it sounds like he's quoting a slogan. And, and, and secondly, uh, also, uh, the whole idea that somehow sexual sin uh, hurts the body, but other sins don't, I don't think that that's not a very easy argument to make either. So um, I, I think Paul here is, is just refuting the slogan that, hey, uh, what you do in the body doesn't matter. And then his response is, oh, yeah, it does. And boy, uh, when, when you engage in sexual immorality, it hurts the body more than you can imagine. Yeah, that's right. Now, when he says you, you're sinning against your own body, I think uh, certainly that's true, that in sexual immorality, a person sins against his own body. Is there also a—I'm just thinking about the way Paul talks about marriage in Ephesians 5, and also in the, the coming chapter in 1 Corinthians 7, that in marriage— the the body of the wife there's the the husband has an authority over it and vice versa that the the body of the husband the wife has an authority over it is there also perhaps that sense here as well that you're sinning against your own body yes your own body but also then the the body that would be yours in in marriage that would become one with you there's there's that i don't know that might be stretching the language too far yeah well i think i, I this is how i simply take it, it when you use your body uh, sexually in a way that God did not intend it. You're just misusing and distorting your body. I, I think I think Paul would actually maybe say the same thing. Uh, I don't want to go off track here, but I think he would, he would say the same thing with, with this whole transgenderism movement now, where people are surgically lopping off parts of their body to pretend to be the opposite sex. You know, we're misusing our body and distorting it. And I think his whole point is, is when you use your body sexually outside of God's plan, you're hurting your body. You're misusing it uh, in a way that God never intended. Yeah. And um, and uh, and also treating uh, the person you're having sex with too as an yeah. object of your lust. And I think Paul. Uh, I think one reason people. I know I've had youth when I do youth conferences. Well, Pastor, why is having sex outside of marriage wrong? You know, why would that be wrong? And of course, you can come up with a long list of reasons from Scripture. But one reason I've always pointed out to them is if you're having sex with somebody that you don't plan to marry, you're kidding, committing adultery in advance. And they go, well, what do you mean? I says, whenever you have sex with somebody that you have no intention of marrying, you're, you're having sex with someone else's future spouse. Mm. Yeah. You know, and, and, and so th- this whole idea that, that I can just 
use sex as a uh, something that I can gratify my desires and, and use whom I will to gratify those desires, it, 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 it's all a sin against God's holy gift of marriage. And, and, uh, and you know, again, Paul's going to go on later to talk about uh, the importance of marriage in, in chapter 7. And uh, um, finally, when Paul goes on, that these last verses, do you not know your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit that you have from God? You're not your own. You were bought at a price. And so after giving all this heavy law, he actually gives some great gospel here. He reminds them, you know, we've all been guilty of sexual sin, if not indeed, at least in desire. But remember, you were bought with nothing less than the blood of Christ shed for you. And, and I think Paul is echoing back to verse 11, you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. Uh, so, yes, you're forgiven. You're free from the, 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 the judgment that your sin deserves. Uh, you're God's dearly loved child with the hope of eternal life with him. But <laughs> that does not mean now that I can live any way I please. Uh, to be free actually means to honor God with our body, to live in accordance with his loving will for our lives. That is true freedom. And so he, he, after showing us the evil of sexual immorality, he reminds us we've been bought, we're washed, we're sanctified, we're justified, but now we're free for a life of honoring God with our body. Mm. Uh, he... It also makes this marvelous statement in verse 19, which I would connect as well to verse 15. In verse 15, he said, you know, don't you know that your bodies are members of Christ? Now he says something else about my body. He says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? Talk about that reality, that our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, you know, and it's interesting here. I, I, I've been taking my people through some studies of the Old Testament where, you know, God's glory dwelled in the Holy of Holies, but people had to stay at a distance. Mm-hmm. You know, so yeah, even though people in the Old Testament were saved through faith in Christ like we are, because the sacrifice had not yet been offered, there was this distance. But we all know that when Christ died, uh, it says the curtain in the temple was torn in two. And uh, so God leaves <laughs> the Holy of Holies and finds a new temple, and that temple is us. Uh, he, uh, now that Christ has finished his work, uh, uh, God actually dwells in us. We have this intimate relationship with God uh, that, that's very holy. And that's why uh, earlier Paul says, well, how can you take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? You know, you have this intimate relationship with Christ. He dwells within you. He gives you his body and blood to eat and to drink. The Holy Spirit has... Uh, come into your life as well, and that affects the way we live our life from day to day, from moment to moment, or at least it should. Yeah, as I as I listen to Paul speaking here about you're not your own, you were bought with a price. Uh, I I have to think that Martin Luther had that in mind, at least in part, when he was writing his small catechism, the explanation to the second article, where where he talks oh. about that we you know he we have been purchased, we have been uh, bought not with gold or silver, but with his holy, precious blood and with his innocent suffering and death. And why? So that I may be his own. I'm no longer my own, but now I'm his own because of this great price that he paid for me. Absolutely. And and so Christian freedom is not about, oh, now I can go out and, and, and be my own God. You know, that, that was the, the original lie. You decide for yourself what is good and evil. Uh, but but true freedom is finally living the human life as God intended, 
and and that's true freedom. And and the fact that God loved us so much that He was willing to sacrifice His Son to buy us um, uh, from our own uh, uh, self destruction shows us how much God loves us. And so again, His teaching on sexuality here from the Lord is not about depriving us of 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 having a good time. It's all about saying, I want you to know the real blessing of sexuality as I intended it for you. So. I want to rescue you from this distortion that's going to ultimately destroy you in the end. So this teaching about sexuality here is really all about God's love for us. Absolutely. We have about two minutes here, Pastor Eckstein. Help us to wrap things up on this text from 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Well, one last thing. You know, we've talked a lot about sexual immorality here, and, uh, you know, uh, any people who are listening, or or, or whenever I preach on this too, I'm, I'm well aware that we have all, in one way or another, uh, engaged in sexual immorality. And, and e- e- even elderly people who might be at the age where, you know, sexual activity isn't a, a big thing for them anymore. Um, I remember one time I, ha- I had an elderly person say, you know, uh, after you preached on this text about sexual sin, it reminded me of some stuff I did when I was young, and I, I really was convicted, you know. And and so there are, there are some people that, that, that might be in their 70s, 80s, but still carry this burden of shame from something they did years before. And so it's important to hear that when Paul says you were bought at a price, he's reminding us that, hey, what, whatever you've done uh, sexually, whether it's looking at porn or engaging in same-sex behavior or fornication or adultery, you can bring that to Jesus and you will be washed, you'll be sanctified, you'll be justified, and God will give you a new beginning. And, and that's, that's such a wonderful gospel message. God takes our, our broken past and, and gives us a, an eternal do-over in Jesus. Pastor Tom Eckstein is pastor at Concordia Lutheran Church in Jamestown, North Dakota. He has been helping us today to study 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 12 to 20. Pastor Eckstein, thanks for being our guest today. My privilege. Thank you. Your life in Christ and your life in the body are intimately connected. Christ has become a man for you. The Son of God has become incarnate to take on your sins, to die in your place, to rise from the dead, to promise you that same resurrection. You have been bought with a price. Christ has freed you from those sins in your body. So glorify him in your body. You are his temple. You are a member of him. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Faith Lutheran Church in Godfrey, Illinois. If you have any questions about 1 Corinthians chapter 6, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org. It's always a pleasure to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.